0: Hello and welcome to Public Affairs, a broadcast by WRBH eighty-eight point three FM Reading Radio. We've got a great show for you today because we are welcoming back Dr. Anne Foundas of the uh, Brain Institute of Louisiana. Welcome back, Anne. Thank you so much. Now you're also a behavioral neurologist That's and correct. a former professor,
1: or a current well, professor? I, I'm still a professor mm-hmm. in um, at LSU in Baton Rouge, oh, okay. and I've taught many students, and I still see patients. Oh, wow. So you
0: really got your hands in all the pots there. That's right. All right. um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Brain Institute of Louisiana? Now, it's a nonprofit uh, sort of research center. Yes.
1: So the goal of the Brain Institute of Louisiana is to promote brain health through research and education. And we're really just getting started. We're a fairly new organization. We're independent, private nonprofit. And so our focus in the initial years has been to just sort of get the word out, and now we're starting to build more community uh, projects and um, do some things to educate students and start new research projects as well.
0: Okay. Seems like a really relevant topic to this city. I know... um we have a tendency to have higher than average rates of things like uh, Alzheimer's, right, brain development issues early. That's
1: correct, because so brain aging problems like degenerative dementias like Alzheimer's are uh, present here at a younger age of onset and oftentimes are mixed. So some people have not just degenerative changes and the most common degenerative dementia is Alzheimer's, but have vascular problems. So we have a a high risk of cardiovascular and cerebrovascular, brain-related vascular changes. And the two in combination, so vascular brain changes and degenerative changes like Alzheimer's, make it more malignant and more okay. rapidly progressive. And so that's more of a problem in the state of Louisiana.
0: Okay. So making you guys' role to the
1: city really important, right? Well, yes. And we're, we're trying, you know, to, to really do more to care for patients and to translate it into earlier recognition, diagnosis, and treatment. And, and I, I think you had mentioned to me that you wanted to talk about technology in the brain. And, yes. you know, technology <laughs> in the brain is one of those things that we can use to help with brain aging Mm -hmm. in terms of innovative treatments with medical devices. But I think um, at least when we were talking before we started, you were interested in learning more about brain technology and brain development, which is maybe part of that continuum because our brain develops throughout life Mm -hmm. and um, how our brain ages is really predicated on how it develops and then how we modify and change things throughout our life to improve brain aging. So now I guess the pace of
0: these technological advances is getting higher and higher. Things are changing quicker and quicker. Um, We're going to be in a new age soon, and I feel like people um, might need to be maybe a little informed about how their brain is going to change in response to the changes in society, all these different communication methods, tools, tools. So why don't we maybe start with some stats? Sure. Um, So the U.S. Census Bureau says there's uh, 83 million people using uh, digital technologies 18 hours per day.
1: Which is hard to imagine, if that's accurate, right?
0: Spends 18 18 hours per day using any type of digital medium.
1: So I suppose that would include using your cell phone, using your computer with the internet, and even probably, you know, watching any kind of, you know, streaming, okay. television, any kind Anything of like um, technological device.
0: Um, now, it says 70% of people check their devices um, a few times every hour. So let's, what do you think the Oto effects of that? To of, sort that? of
1: um, try to... <laughs> every try hour, to, yeah. Well, well, first of all, presumably people work 8 to 10 hours a day mm-hmm. during the work week. So, if people are checking their cell phone during that time, there are two things you say. Well, is that reducing their efficiency on the job, or is it enhancing their job because they're doing something relevant to their job? Is it creating more distraction? And if it is, does that have a long impact, long term impact, in terms of the brain? So that seems like the first uh, huge topic that we would want to talk about,
0: which is distractions. Um, So these technologies often will leave us a little distracted. We'll be multitasking. They'll sort of reduce um, the cognitive attention that we can put forth in other areas. Why don't you talk a little bit about
1: that? Um, Yeah, well, I think a lot of it probably depends on the person's age. Okay. And so if, and and, and how to best um, manage things. So first of all, I guess before again, because we were going to talk about technology in the brain, I looked up to see if there was any research or even any review papers that have been recently done to look at this specific um, problem, if you will. And I couldn't find anything. And I think part of it is it would be very difficult to do a controlled study to look at individuals. You can do sort of a retrospective or community-based study to look at the average use and then to look at over time, the long-term consequence. But I think one of the things that we know is that if you are using devices and you're using them often, many hours during the day, it's a very passive way of being engaged. And, and we use our devices for learning because we might be looking something up to learn. And unless we then communicate that to another person, in a more active way, like through speaking or then using it in a way where we're producing some sort of action. Sort of storing it. Correct. Then it is a different kind of process and using different parts of the brain. And so if a young child, so in... preschool and in the early education is primarily spending their alone time passively engaged with a device, is that a way that helps to develop their language or helps to develop their memory? And memory's not one thing, but again, if it's a passive uh, learning or a passive activity in terms of your ability to communicate verbally, or to act in terms of actions, is that good for the brain?
0: Right. So I've heard there's been a slow uh, decline in conversational skills due to this. Um, I guess we uh, are getting worse at reading social cues, right?
1: and, And that's a really interesting thing. So you say, well, one of the important things that makes us uniquely human is our social engagement. And social engagement is like what we're doing here. We're talking, but we're looking at each other. We're gesturing. We're getting feedback in multiple different ways. And so if you spend more time looking down at your device, even if you're out socially, you might be sitting on a bench in a park. And, you know, two people are just sitting there on their devices as opposed to sitting on the bench communicating. Um, or at dinner, you know, sitting. Mm -hmm. And so over time, one of the skills is your social or social-emotional communication. And I think it's speculative because, again, it's hard to look at the research or hard to make a link. But if you say, well, what about what is autism or autism spectrum disorder? And as a spectrum, it goes a continuum from people that are so severely impaired They can't communicate and use language or gestures or engage in social interactions to the individual who is highly intelligent but lacks social skills. And so is it that we're increasing that problem or that challenge for people because we're having people be more socially isolated by not engaging in more face-to-face communications and looking at people's eyes and gestures to understand and learn those cues, which is something that is problematic in people with social-emotional problems and within the spectrum of even mild autism spectrum disorder. Okay.
0: So um, another... Another uh, downside to all these technological advances, Um, I guess we sort of touched on the distractions, the attention span. It says that we can only concentrate for about eight seconds on average
1: before moving on to something else. Well, you know, that's a really good um, point. So when you talk about memory or learning in memory, it's not just one process. So the information has to get in on the sensory level. And then for information that you want to retain, you have to consolidate it. And a lot of times you can use strategies to learn it, you know, like if you're, learning something in school, you might use an algorithm to be able to remember the facts, you know, okay. multiple facts. But when they so you talk... So encode it. So. Correct, correct. And then to use it over again to the long-term it, right? store. <laughs> correct, correct. And so, but um, working memory is different. So working memory is defined as a short-term buffer where you take a little bit of information in. So it might be seven bits of information. And you retain it for 10 to 20 seconds and you might manipulate and use it and then you throw it away because it's not important. So I'll give you an example of a working memory task that people don't use anymore. So one of them is in the past before we had cell phones or even early with cell phones where our phones weren't so advanced that we had, you know, all of our contacts listed and you just push a button. Or sometimes Uh you can even just say, you know, the name of the person and your phone will retrieve and call that individual. Password, Correct. Types. And so if you were, or you were looking for a restaurant, you know, you would call maybe the operator, right? So you call the, and you call the operator and you get the number. And then you, they tell you the number, you know, 504-376-5211. And you remember it long enough to be able to use it on your phone. And then you lose it. Because you've done all this stuff. And that's yeah. working memory. Those seven bits of information, you know, of right? Mm-hmm. And then you manipulate and you use it. And so we're underutilizing that skill, which mm. is really important. Wow. And working memory in the brain is localized in a different area than the hippocampal formation and those association cortical areas that are important for getting information in. They're in the temporal lobe and the parietal cortex. And the parietal cortex is sensory, visual, and and visual information is also posterior. And those are more passive things, right? But when you think about active things in the frontal lobe where motor systems are, and that's where working memory is. So it's manipulating those short-term bits of information. Mm. And the frontal cortex is something that continues to develop up into our mid to late 20s through the white matter connections in the brain so perhaps we're not engaging enough with the environment to get information in and manipulate and use and develop our working memory or our communication skills and maybe one of the long-term consequences could be that that would be um, potentially a negative impact. On the other hand, I think you always have to look at technology and all the positives because there are many, many positives of technology that I think it would be important to think about. So like for you, what what are some technology things that you think are really positive that have, uh, impact your work life and your personal life in a positive way?
0: Um, I'll say the search function. You know, I can uh, have an e-book now, and I can just search for a word in the entire book. You, I could never do that before, so that's really helpful. Suppose I'm trying to find information about a certain thing. I can quickly find it in a book. I don't even, you know, (laughs) it's just all I have to do is type the word in. Right, right. And so... um, Therefore, maybe I don't read the book as well. (laughs) No,
1: but, well, and again, you say, well, then you're scanning things, you're skimming. And so, you know, is that a negative way to learn? But when people talk about even speed reading, you know, in Mm -hmm. the past, people would say, well, can you take a speed reading class so that you can learn more about how to rapidly absorb large amounts of information. If you're studying, you know, in um, high school, college, you know, advanced programs or even just day-to-day. And I think because we do things in more of a telegraphic way, when you think about how you write, uh, mm-hmm. an, you know, when you're texting somebody or or even when you use Twitter, you're limited in the number of characters. Mm-hmm. And so you reduce your communication in a small way. But again, perhaps that also enhances the ability for you to get through larger amount of information because you're scanning it faster. faster processing, and you have tools yeah. technologically to help you do that. What about, do you use a device that keeps track of your walking, your steps, or your sleeping? You know, because there's um, those... I try not to be uh,
0: uh, analyzed like that because <laughs> I feel like it would drive me nuts, all this data about myself. Yes, but,
1: but, but think about your family and friends Mm -hmm. that may and think about how in a positive way that can be incorporated into ways of helping to improve your daily activities to improve your long-term health. So for example, what are the important things for healthy aging, Mm -hmm. including healthy brain aging? It's diet, exercise, and sleep. So you can (laughs) monitor that regularly in an easy way that we couldn't do a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's all sorts of privacy issues. But it may be that in the future, your physician may be able to, with your permission and with advances in our way to access that information, to get access to some of those data that you Mm -hmm. have to be able to help you to improve your long-term health. That so those sense. are positive yeah. things to me in technology.
0: Tailor a medical treatment to any you correct, know, correct. Any, um, and so let's also talk about the addiction addiction aspects. Um, I guess maybe are
1: our brains wired for addiction. We all seem well, to be. You know, it's such a good question. I, um, I, and and again, this is um, not trying to be pejorative but i think in some ways addiction is part of the human condition and you say that well what is addiction sense, what is what is addiction and i mean i don't know i didn't look up in the dictionary or i guess we could even like you know mm-hmm. even even ask our phones for the definition but if you think of addiction in general is when you're um obsessed with something so much that you have to keep doing it, and you don't necessarily know how to be disciplined to inhibit your ability to keep pursuing whatever that addictive thing is. But when I say the human condition is that we tend to be addicted, is that it may be, for example, me, so Anne Fondas, I might be addicted to um, pursuing knowledge about the brain to the point where it could be that it interferes with my ability to go home to my family, right? But if I'm disciplined and I learn how to shift, then perhaps I can make it a positive thing, right? Because maybe it's positive to work hard and have that. But addictions can be negative when they are reinforcing and that behavior, if it's something like being addicted to a uh, pain medication, where that it has a negative impact on your life and on your brain. But so with technology... It can be addictive, but again, if people can be um, disciplined in how they use it, and if as adults with children, if we set limits, and if we help them to use them as tools, then perhaps it's, it's something that you know, you can keep in perspective. But I think addiction is a huge, you know, again, it's part of our. Sort of goes back to rewards DNA. and punishment. Exactly. We're all addicted to yes. dopamine, right? And, yes. Uh-huh. And then how do we um, get that pathway wired in a way that is a negative reinforcement? Because it's a maladaptive behavior gotcha. that we keep going back to versus something that can be more adaptive. So there would have to be a negative
0: consequence
1: to sort of change the behavior. But but again, with devices, the negative thing is, again, if you go back to that Mm -hmm. statistic, how many hours a day do we spend with devices? When is it negative? And so if you try to, you know, like, for example, a family, you might say, well, we're all going to not use our devices in the evening, like from dinner time until bedtime. Except if we're using it in a context of, you know, if, if somebody is doing homework and they use their computer. And part of that might be that it encourages social interactions. And it could be that it also encourages turning the device off. Because if you use a device late in the evening, it can interfere with your ability to sleep. So do you see what I mean? Like it can be, but there can be rules that families can set or individuals, you know, just like you might say, well, for the new year, I'm going to exercise three times a week, try to do at least two and a half hours a week. But it could be you say, well, I'm going to try to not use my phone or check it while I'm at work. I'm going to completely turn it off. I'm going to completely turn off any of those dingers, you know. Like Hide it, too. Yes, get it and out put of it your away. Sight. <laughs> and then even at a certain time in the evening, whatever time it is, okay. 7 p.m., 8 p.m., put it away, turn it off, and then don't attend to it until the next morning when you wake up. I've heard uh, things
0: that even just having your phone out, like on the table in front of you, you know, while you're listening to a lecture or taking notes, even just having it out can uh, reduce your intake and processing of the
1: information you're learning. It's interesting, yeah. Well, you know, I'll give you another example of something. Just recently I had a patient who has some um, mild cognitive problems, difficulty with attention after a traumatic brain injury, a mild traumatic brain injury. And so I suggested that she, um, she's in her 50s, that she use um, a device in the evening, not before she goes to bed, but to play some of those um, computer games. And again, I didn't specify what games or how long, but even if it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And I think it is true that using a game and getting proficient will increase your cognitive capacity or efficiency or attention in some ways if you have slowing because of some sort of a brain injury. But then the next question is, well, using those kinds of brain games, does that enhance learning and memory or efficiency? And there's no data to say it does. There's no data to say it doesn't. But I think if we use it as a tool, it can be a positive thing.
0: So it can be a support. Correct. It can be a support. Um I guess sort of related to all this, there's a lot of talk. I guess neuromarketing has been a new a new term. What's uh-huh. your idea on that and how that relates well, to all this so, things? So
1: I would say so what is what does that mean when you say um, neuromarketing? Are you talking about like artificial I intelligence guess it's to a,
0: use? Maybe it? an economic market that's developing. Uh-huh. So you'll see a lot of uh tools that promise just to boost your, you know, neuro capabilities. Uh I guess maybe there's like supplements or
1: so, um, you know, it's interesting. So as a cognitive behavioral neurologist, weird, yes. you know, and I never even heard the term neuromarketing. And I find it... Um, I feel mixed about it because I think it's important for people to think about strategies of how to improve their cognitive function and um, brain health in general across the life cycle. But what, what gives me pause is is that a lot of that marketing may not be based on scientific evidence, whether this, if it's a supplement or if it's a medical device, whether it really helps. And so I think that an ideal way to have neural marketing be more effective is if you have a merging of the professional, the neuroscientist physician who knows about yeah. the science and the marketing, or even doing it together. Yeah, so. there's
0: always a big, uh, a big uh, cavern in yes, between the two. It is it's so yes. easy to sort of fool the public, uh, you know, to get them to think that well, something you know, is science based, or it might be, you know, s- sort of have its foot in science, but then it'll be exaggerated. yet. Or.
1: But on the other hand, if there is that much interest, if you think about it as a billion-dollar industry, mm-hmm. then it means that there's the Interest that people want to do better, you know, in terms of that. And yeah,
0: that they're interested in their brain health. And, yes, yes. Um, yes, yeah, so I mean, if we could just get a, well, let a me little give, more joining there. Let me huh?
1: give you a fact that I think is really interesting since I care mm-hmm. for a lot of people with memory problems and mm-hmm. age-related memory problems. You know, most commonly it's dementia, and dementia is mm-hmm. not one thing. But there's a fact that I learned a couple years ago that one in three dementias are preventable. And the reason is that if you modify things in your lifestyle, so we all have a genetic makeup, and some of that may be a predisposition to certain things, and you may have chronic medical conditions. But there are mod things that you can modify during your life so you can exercise more, you can eat a more healthy diet, you can engage socially, don't be socially isolated, learn new things. Change your behaviors? Correct, <laughs> <No>. change your <laughs> behaviors and in a positive way, and um, have a more positive outfit about outlook, know how to um, relax and turn things off in your mind, mindfulness, and that a lot of those things can help. And so again, you know, isn't that interesting that, that, that we have to think about prevention of cognitive changes? Because, you know, when you go back to the statistic that you started with, the number of people who are young in this country eventually are going to become older. And how can we enhance the quality of life by preserving brain function and, you know, again, the whole body-mind connection? So. Right. So it's helpful to sort of,
0: uh, in the present, sort of uh, look into the future and sort of guess what problems might develop with all this, um, all these changes yes. that we can maybe sort of prevent them Um it did say that uh, millennials are
1: more forgetful than seniors. Well, you know, so, I, I, I'm not sure where that came from, that fact. Because I... Um, and so I think... Maybe they're, it, maybe they're talking about the... Uh, distractibility, The distracting yeah, the, I think, the less cause, working cause, memory. Yes. So when you say forgetful, what does that mean? Because, again... On the positive side, you say, "Well, are they better at multitasking and being more efficient with their time, taking in large amounts yeah. of information quickly because they know how to focus on little bits and get the information in from multiple sources quickly?" So, but um, so I don't know the answer to that. Gotcha. I um, I think that. We have to look at technology overall as a positive thing. Because if you just think about before there were technological advances, for example, even just the computer, there were things that hampered our ability to even get work done. So if you didn't have a computer and you had to use a typewriter, imagine how slow that was and how much to be able to edit something over and over again. Now, on the other hand, you say, well, if you have a computer, and if you're very much a perfectionist, you're writing a paper as a student over and over and over. But again, think about overall the positive things. With the technology in terms of, in my field, in in neurology, in terms of just brain imaging, so the CT scan became available in the mid 70s. Now we have the ability with molecular imaging using MRI to even tag specific molecules that are, like in in Alzheimer's, you can tag the amyloid, you can tag the tau, and you can look at the burden of that in the brain. And then you can develop studies to target that in individuals that may have an increased burden of that at a younger age and may be predisposed to a cognitive decline. Isn't that exciting? Without technology, we wouldn't have that window into the brain. So it's like we're going to solve this mystery by making it more complex, getting <laughs> all the data. Exactly. Gonna... But you know, again, and then just think about our before we had cell phones or even lights. You know, writing
0: that paper, you'd have to do it by candlelight. Right. Exactly. But <laughs> the know, sun went down. butter. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like what
1: at night? What would you What would you be able to do in terms of having the freedom to just think about things? So I suppose. Um, the self-reflection, the, yes. Sort of the internal, challenge, yeah. the challenge for your generation, or you know, and and the next generation, is to um, slow down and pause and allow yourself time for self-reflection. And I think that's everyone, yeah. you know, to do that. And um,
0: and as and, humans, we sort of have a tendency to uh, resist self-reflection if it's going to be troublesome or. You know, if we think it might emotionally affect us, yes, and that can cost in the long run for sure. That's true. Um, one more thing. I, the last thing I think we forgot sure. to mention uh, is that it in- increases our impulsivity. All this uh, technology, so we're sort of, uh, as you mentioned, the self control is getting you know less, yes. less and, and less. And, well, and, and the
1: impulsivity. So it's an interesting point because if we go back to what we talked about earlier with uh, working memory and the frontal executive function, the frontal cortex. So um, that's involved in when you have frontal injury or lack of development. So when you think of teenagers, oftentimes those white matter connections to the frontal cortex are still developing. A teenager may be more impulsive, make some bad decisions in terms of their behavior. But so then the impact, if you don't develop those connections for whatever reason, perhaps you're not using that skill set to develop those white matter connections, it may make the person more impulsive. And then the impulsivity could have a negative impact in terms of not being able to get off the device or use right. it while you're driving, driven to distraction. You know, or and, even
0: just executive functioning, planning-wise, with uh, not being able to delay gratification. Yes, it seems correct. Like it could be problematic. Um, All right. Well, I think that's our show for today. Thank you so much for coming back, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. Once again, this has been Public Affairs on WRBH 88.3 FM.